0: ready to go ready to go okay hello everyone and welcome to our clearly aligned podcast featuring the famous and talented dr Steven shulk who's a great friend and mentor of mine uh, i'm kelly tyrrell for those of you who don't know me a fellow member and i've been a super fan of dr schultz for the last few years um ever since he started clearly aligned i think it was a couple of years ago wasn't it two yeah two? i think two we're coming up on two years now yeah awesome and today our feature conversation is going to be on the elastic conversation and we have collected um a lot of your questions off our facebook group and those that have been emailed in and we're going to do our best to shed some light on that um conversation
1: cool and kelly doesn't give herself nearly enough credit here because she is phenomenal in what she does as a clincheck coordinator um, designing cases Um, she has some of the most intelligent insights that I've ever seen of someone uh, designing and planning cases. So I'm really excited to see her thoughts and opinions on the topics today as well.
0: So let's get started um, with some of questions from our members. Is there an easy calculation or recipe that you follow uh, to help you decide on the size and the ounce of the elastics that you use?
1: Yeah, there is. And so as general dentists, we often, I think, get scared of elastics more than we should because it's really not nearly as complicated as, uh, as you think it is. There's two numbers. There's the size and there's the weight. The size, so most companies use either animals or geographic locations to describe which elastics they have. Obviously the bigger the elastic, the larger the animal or the larger the city. If you uh, wanna break it down though with the actual numbers, kind of a good baseline elastic would be something that goes from the lower first molar to the canine because that's how we're often going to be using them. And the size that's required then is measuring the diameter of the elastic. And so generally, we're working in a quarter inches or sixteenths of inches or eighths of inches. But really, if we think back to basic um, high school, it shouldn't be too hard to to figure this out. So. If you're going from the lower molar, first molar to the upper canine, the size that is required in most of those cases for me is going to be a one quarter size elastic. And what that one quarter is measuring is it's measuring the, um, the diameter of the circular elastic. So it just goes right across. And then it tells us that that's one quarter of an inch is the size of that elastic. If you want to go to a smaller elastic, well, 1 quarter is 4 sixteenths as well, right? Just times it by 4, because if we want to have a base unit, if we want to go smaller, we go smaller in increments of one sixteenth. So a smaller elastic then would be 3 sixteenths. Smaller than that would be, theoretically, 2 sixteenths. Well, 2 sixteenths would also be 1 eighth. Or if you wanted to go bigger from 1 quarter or 4 sixteenths, you'd go up to 5 sixteenths. So the baseline would be a one-quarter size. And then if you want to go bigger, you'd go 5-16ths. If you want to go smaller, you'd go 4-16ths. And in the show notes, I'm going to go ahead and post a diagram so everybody can see. But if you want to then go from the second molar to the canine, well, I would make that slightly larger. So I'd increase the elastic size by one 16th So you're going from a one-quarter, or again, 4-16ths, to now you want it to be 5-16ths. If you're going to go smaller, let's say you don't have a canine or you don't have the first molar. So you're going from the lower second premolar to the canine. Or you're going from the lower first molar to the first premolar on the upper. So just one tooth shorter, then you'd be going with a 3 sixteenths. So a good example of this would be someone who doesn't want to have elastics on their canines for aesthetic reasons. You move it back a tooth to the first molar, premolar. Then you could go ahead and just have a 3 sixteenths elastic instead of using that one quarter. there's lots of determinations with if you're starting to get into like triangular patterns or settling elastics uh, but that's just a good baseline
0: okay awesome and so in your practice for like a bread and butter class two or class three where we're like canine to molar so you know just keeping everything completely um you know normal normal nothing fancy do you typically start with like a four ounce quarter inch or like a six ounce quarter inch those are like my two Go-to favorites,
1: yeah, definitely. The elastic size. So let's talk size a little bit. Er, Okay. uh, Weight, I should say.
0: Weight. Yep.
1: So a nice baseline again, which keeps it easy, is again one quarter for the size, and then for weight is four ounce. So four ounce is considered a, a medium weight. If you're looking at the the weighting, essentially what they do is if you take the elastic, and you want it to stretch to be three times its size what amount of weight is required to hang off of that elastic to do it and so with a four ounce it takes four ounces in order to make that elastic stretch to be three times its normal size okay if cool. you want to have a, a thicker elastic that needs heavier weight then a six ounce is going to be thicker and it takes six ounces to stretch it three times so if this was a patient who was really really young we're talking about like an eight-year-old and you want to start off really gently with them, then you might go with something like a light elastic, which would be two ounce. Mm-hmm. Standard would be six ounces. And then if you want to go with something heavier, let's say you have someone who's a huge bruxer and clencher, mm-hmm. and they have either, uh, there's two terms I'll use, facial or hypodivergent, just that very strong um, clencher who has a square jaw. Then I'd often go with something heavier in their case because we know we're fighting against the muscles. Right. Um, so you're, you're spot on. That's exactly what we would probably start with is somewhere around a four ounce or a six ounce. And then the heaviest that we clinically would use in our office would be the equivalent of a force two elastic, which mm-hmm. is eight
0: ounces. Right. And do you typically use that eight ounce, like with carriers? Cause you have like something stronger to anchor it to, um, or did yeah. you sometimes use it with aligners?
1: Yeah. Great question. So with a carrier, um, you can hook up heavier elastics, and that's one of the benefits of the Carrier. But you might okay. just pull your button right off the tooth if you're using an 8-ounce without. Um, yeah. A good rule of thumb that I would say is that Carriers can handle up to 8 ounces or, or more. You can actually double two 6-ounce yeah. elastics and get 12 ounces. But usually you'd say 8 ounces with a Carrier is pretty standard. With a button, I think that you can comfortably go to 6 ounces, Um, and just going tray to tray and hooking it onto a slit, I would never really go more than four ounces because else it will pull the tray off or just kind of bend over that little tab that it's hooked
0: to. Yeah. And it gets frustrating for the patients because we're telling them like, hook them up, wear them nonstop. And then the precision cut to precision cut, which I fully support. I I love precision cuts. But if you get into heavier elastics or a long, long pull, it can just that little flap flaps up and they, they keep telling us it's slipping off and we're like you can do it (laughs) yeah exactly
1: try harder
0: (laughs) but yeah we don't want to burn them out we want to make sure that it's possible and that's why it's always important to try these things chair side um before you excuse them so if your button's going to pop up you know right there before they hit the parking lot or get home so totally now, is there a thing as too much force um is there a danger if like like i think doctors a lot of the time or team are worried like oh that's a heavy elastic like what are the repercussions of this um what what do you think force wise irregardless of like what the step size or what we're trying to accomplish
1: sure uh yes and no i guess in the sense that am i worried that this is going to cause like irreversible harm to the teeth not at all um Unless you were extruding a tooth. So let's say you have a carrier, and Mm -hmm. the tooth is extruding at the same time that you're using the class 2 elastics, then they could end up biting heavy on that tooth, and it's not the elastic that's doing it, but you're pulling that tooth down, and now they're only hitting that one tooth. And I've seen that before on a first premolar, where the tooth ended up in a really heavy occlusion. Um, But that was using doubled-up elastics where um where she was biting heavy on that tooth. so we can cover that a bit more in carrier week
0: mm-hmm.
1: where we're gonna go but through yeah, that. yeah I, I agree but... i
0: mean we use heavy i mean my husband right now he's double up crazy elastics with the carrier like three to no he's four four to six and four to seven and yeah he's like got an eight ounce and a six ounce like they basically get so chubby on that front hook that you can't fit anything right, else yeah. up on there. But, you know, he's a 50 year old guy and we got to move things backwards, even a millimeter or two, and you got to do what you got to do. Um, I I think, um, you know, doctors get nervous when teeth start to get wiggly. Even we see that with aligners, right? Um, as mm. soon as something starts to get wiggly, that's when they're all Facebooking on our chat. Um, like, oh my gosh, should I slow down? I've got them on a three week cycle and I'm a boarding mission and I let them rest for two months. And like, we're horrified. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like wiggly teeth do not bother us, um, you know, if they're perio compromised. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we're watching that closely, but that rarely happens. Um, we like wiggly teeth. And even if it's a carrier, um, carrier, whatever, um, that, you know, we're using heavy elastics. Yeah, we are used to seeing that extrusion of teeth. We're used to the wiggle. We're used to gaps. Um, For us, that's like bam. We're doing a great job. Like good plan here, um, making progress. But then, you know, I think a lot of doctors who haven't seen that or are seeing it for the first or second time, when the vampire teeth start to come, mm-hmm. like because they are extruding, yeah. they're like, whoa, I'm going the wrong direction. Actually, but that's no, scary. yeah. And so, you know, we learn how to. And we'll talk about that in the next podcast. Overcompensate for that, or like cheat it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 you know, the main thing is we're trying to distalize. So as long as you're getting the bigger movement accomplished. Those other little things um, don't bother us, the, the, okay. the wiggly and the, the extrusion. So yeah.
1: I think that's great. And a, a good um, point just for anybody who's ever wondering about that with aligners alone as well is when you have brackets and wire strapped to the teeth, it stabilizes everything. So it means that it doesn't seem nearly as wiggly. But when you take off the arch wires in a brackets and wires case, those teeth are super, super mobile. So it's not that the aligners or the elastics are doing anything that doesn't happen with braces. The difference is, is that you just don't see it. And exactly. so I was taught that if you're ever unsure, probe. If you use yeah. your probe and you check and you know what your original readings are, you should expect that you would have similar readings. And so a tooth mm-hmm. could be class three mobility. But if you're probing threes and twos and ones, then you know that you still have clinical attachment and the tooth isn't periodontally loose. It's just orthodontically loose. Mm-hmm. So it's not something to worry too, too much about. Just keep an eye on it. And one thing you could do is just have the patients eat with their aligners in, because that's going to stabilize things like an arch wire would. It's going right. to feel very okay. uncomfortable, and the patient might not actually do it, but that's one way that when they're occluding and chewing on the teeth is usually when most of the m- movements are actually happening. So if you can have them eat with their aligners in, then as soon as they finish eating, have them take their aligners out, brush their teeth, brush their trays, and then put them back in again. That's one way to to help get them a little bit more stabilized.
0: Exactly. And I, yeah and i think as long as like the doctors and the teams have confidence like if the patients are like oh is this normal that my teeth are wiggly yes it's normal like you know even if you're not sure <laughs> come back and check with us at the end of the day but yeah yeah um, totally you know be confident with the patient don't be like yeah let's hold steady um they'll just feed right into that so mm-hmm. just go 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 um i've never seen anything bad in my 20 years you know yeah teeth don't fall out so. yeah. Um, so with like the heavy, like heavy force, is there, is there a certain force? Like, is there too much force where you could actually come to a standstill because you're putting too much pressure on the teeth? Like I'm thinking whether it's sequential distalization, like a liner, a liner or a carrier, is there too much elastic that we can apply? It won't damage the teeth or the bone, but will they stop moving or is that not a thing?
1: Uh, yes and no. I think that it's very interesting seeing some very challenging class two and class three cases. What can happen with class two elastics with the jaw is that if you hook the elastics up and just think about how your jaw moves. So your jaw is now getting pulled forward. If the patient's walking around and let's say they're a non-growing patient where you're just trying to like sequentially distalize teeth. If they're walking around with their jaw sticking forward, then the elastics aren't actually stretching. They're not actually pulling on the teeth because their jaw's so far forward that again, remember that three uh, stretching the elastic to be three times its normal diameter? Right. That right. if they're not actually stretched because their jaw's coming forward and the elastic's not engaged, they're just walking around caveman style oh. and nothing's actually engaged. And so I look at the patients when they come in, and also when we're doing the instruction with them to tell them, I don't want you to stick your jaw forward. We're not doing something like a mandibular advancement tray with Invisalign, where you're trying to rely on their growth to, to change things by having their jaw uh, positioned forward. And instead, we need the elastics to be fully stretched and engaged. And what's okay. interesting then is that class three cases are actually really, really consistent when the patients are using their elastics because you can't force your jaw really to go any further back. I mean, of course, your joint could be posteriorly positioned and cause pressure on the retrodiscal tissue, which is a different topic. Um, But you're not going to really... You're going to get results. And so I find the results that you get with class 3 cases are actually way more consistent and Mm -hmm. faster because the patient can't posture their jaw.
0: Okay, that's a good... That's a good point about posturing forward
1: hmm. so that's All why right. i think sometimes if the patient oh. if they're not a strong muscled patient and you use too heavy an elastic then yeah they're just posturing their jaw it's someone who has again that strong facial type where they're kind of fighting the elastic then the extra mm-hmm. strength from the elastic makes sense okay. if not then i kind of stick with that medium four ounce elastic still
0: okay um does the particular age of the patient or the amount of step, like if it's a quarter step, half step, or full step class two, weigh into you starting with a four ounce elastic versus a six ounce, like do you go hard and fast right off the the bat just because you know you have a full step or do you just always start at four and a half and only edge up or change strength if you're not seeing progress?
1: I'll normally start off with a four ounce and then probably step up if we're not seeing progress. Unless it's maybe like that full step, like a full step class two, I would not generally be looking to do using just elastics and Mm -hmm. aligners. I'd probably be looking at doing a carrier. Um, That's where I would draw the line. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing to look at, there is for sure different things about the facial balance, whether you're going to intrude teeth with the aligners while you're sequentially distalizing to try to get the mandible to swing forward. Okay. Um, And so you don't want your elastics to be overpowering the intrusion. So let's say you're trying to intrude the second molar, then the first molar, then the second premolar, first premolar, etc. And then on the lower, you're intruding the lower incisors, canine, and first premolar. Well, the reason we're doing that is because all of that intrusion then means that you're actually creating a posterior open bite on the top in the back. Okay. And you're creating a bit of an anterior open bite in the front on the bottom. And what that does then is it's causing their mandible to kind of swing forward. But if you have super heavy elastics that you're using, say from the lower first molar to the upper first premolar, you could end up extruding um, Mm. some teeth that we don't want to extrude because the elastics are too heavy.
0: Right, so you're fighting yourself.
1: You're fighting yourself because you're trying to correct not just what the anterior-posterior changes, you're trying to correct also by changing their vertical dimension and causing some auto rotation
0: okay yeah i could see how that (laughs) that we're coming back the patients were checking them and we're like are you wearing those and we're like fighting (laughs) ourselves and you know these are things that we learn over over time and i also think um you know like with switching elastics which we're going to talk a little bit more about um later but uh, yeah like easing up to heavier elastics we're we're also trying to help the patients get done the elastics as soon as possible because they do get burnt out so Mm. You know, they're excited about their treatment right off the bat and, you know, it's a partnership and we kind of get their buy-in to help us out with the things that we can't do by ourselves. Um, But at a certain point, they're done. Like, and we know it and we can try to motivate them uh, into action different ways. But, um, you know, you really want to start off energetic and get it done and help them finish it. And, you know, you don't want to give, keep giving them breaks in the middle unless you're, unless you're there. Cause again, you're getting in your own way. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the sooner you can be done, the better. And I mean, by soon, I don't mean like 12 weeks. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. these are significant cases. So we, you know, we need time.
1: The other thing um, that but... I, I think, and I'll get your thoughts too, Kelly, but what I think is so important is to also make sure the patient truly understands what's involved mm-hmm. with the elastic. So if I have a full step class two, they have a six millimeter overjet on an adult. I'm going to be telling them that like the reality is you're going to be wearing elastics for 18 months, yeah, 20 months. I can get your teeth straight sooner, Yeah. but the elastics, because you're not growing patient, if we're going to fully correct this, it's going to take time because yeah. we're moving a lot of roots and a lot of teeth. We're not just going to be straightening and aligning teeth and then ending up with a large overbite. Well, I say overbite for the patients, but I really mean yes, overjet, yes. of course. Um, yeah, and I
0: think that's like, I like, um, I think you're the same. Um, I like to put like a bite jump at the end because again, I am I always show my patients um, mm-hmm. their ClinChex, even if it's overcorrected and it looks crazy, I just explain it. The more they know, the better yeah. they help me out. I figure I tell them my their key attachments. I like, it's a lot, but uh, you know, they're my partners in it. Um, but I like that jump at the end because I say, this is what we are going to do. This is what we can achieve all by ourselves, and your part is this elastic part. I can't help you with this. I can just give you the right elastics and encourage you and, and track you. um so, if you don't do your part, this is where you'll end up. This is the overjet you'll have, and if you're happy with that, you know that's fine. And sometimes we we do have that conversation towards the end, like, okay, you know, it's been 18 months and <laughs> yep. we've been struggling with these elastics all the like way. We make some progress, you know, we we do make progress. We always put a positive spin on it, but you know, am I going to, you know, hold them hostage for a whole nother year when everything is finished? Sometimes we've even placed their lingual wires because we don't want them to stop wearing aligners. We place their bars and they have, you know, retainer, basically full-time retainers with elastics and they're still not doing it. And so like, why Yeah, just stop? And, you know, sometimes we have a conversation of, because we do have warranty periods and things like that we say you know what if you decide in whatever the magic number is a year from now you want to fix that last little bit and you can do it it's, again it's elastics there's no magic yeah. it's elastics totally um then come back to us and we've got you but there's there's an expiry date on that of yeah. course because we need the aligners and we don't want to pay for more and et cetera et cetera but again, you know, you just want to be conscious that they're human beings.
1: Yeah, I like that. I I agree 100%. I think a a huge takeaway for anybody watching this, listen to what Kelly just said, was your partners with your treat, your partners with your patient in the treatment, and there's a certain limit to how much they have to give in their tank. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain point where it makes sense to say, are you, are you done? Are we finished? Mm -hmm. Because if they haven't been wearing their elastics for 12 months they only wore them for the first 6 and nothing changed. Are they going to realistically going to be able to keep wearing the trays and the elastics for an extra year when their teeth are perfectly straight? Yeah. And there's certain aspects of growth because this probably I think Kelly's probably also talking a lot about growing patients with the bite yeah. jump that yeah. the bite jump is just showing how much growth is possible or how much of a simulation is required to get them from a class 2 to a class 1. Um, in a non-growing adult patient, that bite jump at the end, and I love that too because I do the same thing. If the bite jump shows more than maybe a millimeter and a half to two millimeters, then that's a, that's the maximum amount you can probably get in an adult.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so then you need to use other techniques like the carrier, like sequential mm-hmm. distalization. Um, but yeah, for those, I don't do that, but I think maybe I should start doing it for my growing patients to show them look at this change at the end and show them that bite jump where it shows the jaw jumping. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the lower jumping forward to show them this is the elastics. If you don't wear your elastics, then you're going to be left with this huge overjet. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good. That's good. I, I like think, it, you know, There's something else that I was. um Slipped my mind. Something about that. um Also, so for elastics, I mean, we've gotten into, or at least I, I, you and I have gotten into this. We we stretch our chair time is like golden. Like we're, we're very competitive totally, about chair yeah. time and um, whatnot. So you know, we we started checking our patients probably every six weeks, and then eight weeks, and twelve weeks, and sixteen weeks. And some patients we deliver and we don't see forever. I mean, we're virtually watching them but again we've got confidence because we have a lot of experience a lot of years behind us so um you know we're not nervous i don't need to watch the grass grow if i know it's a good good plan and of course i'm not an orthodontist so they're not officially my plans i'm just like a team member but (laughs) (laughs) full disclosure um but how often would you say when we're using elastics you should check in on the patient especially most of our doctors possibly who are on uh, today or listening to the podcast are new so they are a little bit more nervous Um, and what should they be looking for? Like, should we definitely check them every eight weeks or 12 weeks or even if it's virtual, and what do they want to look for?
1: Sure. Great question. I think that the first part is probably understanding how the elastics work. So we talked about size and we talked about weight. The other thing then is how frequently should the patients be changing their elastics and how much are they wearing them? And for Mm -hmm. my patients, I either have them on two protocols. One, if we're just doing minor things, would be nighttime wear. The -hmm. other is full-time wear. And then in terms of how often do they change the elastics, we have them change, I say, five to seven times a day. So I tell them first thing in the morning when you wake up, when you have breakfast, lunch, uh, a snack after school, dinner, if these are, usually we're talking growing patients here, Um, sometimes adults too, but um, after dinner and then before bed. And so if you add those all up, you're looking about seven times a day. So anytime you take out your, um, your liners, you should put in fresh elastics. So we give them the, the elastics come in baggies of a hundred elastics and we'll give them like five to seven baggies. Mm-hmm. And if if it's someone who's really like not compliant at all, I will tell them every two hours, change your elastics every two to okay. three hours even okay. because you want them to still have that stretch. If the mm-hmm. elastics are really worn in, I, I once had a patient, you know, like this when I was first starting, we didn't tell her that she needed to be changing her elastics that they were disposable. So she came oh. back and she was so proud that she'd been wearing the same pair of elastics, mm-hmm. the same set for like, I think she had to come in for a button came off or something for like seven oh. days straight.
0: They're like orangey brown. Yeah, they just were like disgusting.
1: It was amazing. They were still together. <laughs> they had no stretch at all. So that's the other oh, part God. of it. So when determining with these patients, we try to customize them towards what they most need. We use dental monitoring at the office like you as well. So when looking at dental monitoring, the goal of doing like virtual at home monitoring is not necessarily to reduce the number of appointments to as few as possible. It's trying to tailor their treatment to what they need. So an excellent patient who's doing phenomenal and following the instructions, we might not see them until every three to six months even, but someone who's non-compliant and needs those uh, accountability checks, Mm-hmm. We'll actually have patients coming in as frequently as two to four weeks. Okay. So a good answer would be if it's a patient who's compliant and you have a long ways to go with your elastics, we'll load them up and we'll see them back in three to six months. But if okay. it's somebody who's not good and we need to check in continuously with them and really see in person when you ask them those questions, eye to eye, are they lying to you? Mm-hmm. We'll be bringing them in like maybe once a month. Okay. And. I like doing that with my carriers, we're jumping ahead here, Mm -hmm. but I like bringing in all my patients back at the one month mark. And and so if you were new with elastics and you weren't sure if your patients would wear them, I would bring them back at the one month mark and really face to face, explain again how important the elastics are and then ask them again, out of 10, I like this one out of 10, 10 being you are perfect. Zero being Mm -hmm. you didn't wear them at all. What score do you give yourself? and i feel like you can always take a couple points off if it's in the middle so if somebody says they're seven they're probably more like a five everybody inflates it but if they say i'm a nine or a ten like i'm nearly perfect that's probably truthfully the the situation
0: yeah yeah i think to a certain extent um we tend to blame a lot on the patients like uh, you know my team members like i hear it in the communities like co-op and patient compliance and sometimes it is like our planning so we have to take some accountability or sometimes we rush them through that that first new patient uh, appointment, bonding and IPR, we got a lot to do. And so, yeah, maybe we didn't fully, you know, do our full motivational speech about elastic so they don't understand. Um, Definitely with carriers, I, I, I tell them like, When you come back, so whether it's four weeks or we tend to do eight weeks, um, you know, this is what I want to see. You should have a gap between the tooth. I'm going to wiggle that bar and your tooth should be moving, um, et cetera, et cetera. So those are my, and your teeth get longer. So I'm looking for vampire gap and I'm going to wiggle the bar. And if you don't have those things, and I'm not expecting a huge gap at eight weeks, but I'm expecting something Mm -hmm. uh, like a looser open contact. Um, And if you don't have those, I know you're not, wearing them maybe not as much. You might think you're doing, you know, a great job, but we need to up it. And um, and they 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 tend to they tend to understand that. And I, I basically just tell them, especially with carriers, if you're not wearing your elastics, that's just a shiny decoration on your teeth. Nothing is happening and you're buying yourself four or six months of more treatment and you know we will order a whole nother set of um lower aligners let's say for class 2 carrier to give them a second shot at being motivated but after that we call it and we sequentially distalize um again sequential distillation still elastics yeah, <laughs> so you know, exactly. like, you know but but we take a little bit i think with sequential distillation you take a little bit more control back because as soon as you get that plastic wrapper on mm-hmm. the tooth i feel like i've got a little bit of i'm helping them a little bit um, but, uh, you know, they, they need to be uh, participating. And again, changing them often is key. You know, keeping it fresh and um, yeah, changing Without them that often.
1: compliance, I agree. You're not yeah. going anywhere. And I, I like to tell them too that elastics are one of those things that, and I just kind of make up these numbers a little bit, but I tell them <laughs> for every like, hour you have your elastics out, that means four hours of your previous progress is gone. And if yeah. you have them out for too many hours in the day, like the entire day's worth is, is not useful. So if you have them out for more than four hours a day, you might as well write that whole day off.
0: Yeah, that's uh, what I say. I'm, I'm like an exaggerator in case yeah. you guys have. To <laughs> <on that. laughs> so with my patients, I always like you whether it's like a liner or, or even braces, uh, any kind of elastic wear, I pretty much tell them consistency is key. It's not so much about the force because sometimes you'll have patients saying, can you give me stronger ones then? And I'm like, it's more about consistency, We're, we've already given you as strong as we feel comfortable with. Um, so it's like pushing a medicine ball or like a bowling ball up a hill you wear them you wear them you're taking them out like just to eat or to brush so it's not long enough that the ball's rolling down the hill yet but you know you're keeping that momentum up and the goal is that we reach the destination and I take away the elastics and you're happy and I'm happy and I can finish the rest of the case and I you know now this pressure's all on me to finish but if you keep taking breaks whether it's I don't wear them to school but I'm really good after school and nights that we hear that all the time basically I tell them like there really is no point I'm, I'm not saying they're not making a little bit of progress but i don't tell them that mm-hmm. i say you know we need that consistent wear 24 7 to get that ball to the top of the hill and every time you take off the elastics that bull run, ball runs down to the bottom of the hill and you're starting from scratch again and they seem to really get that that like that consistent pull up the hill and once you're there you know i'll tell you're you the, the minute you've reached it you're done I'll, i will i will pull it yeah so and and we do that with carriers too i mean as much as we planned usually like a lower arch of let's say 24 weeks of alignment if we've had like an olympic wearing elastic kid and you know in 14 15 weeks they have corrected their class too um i don't i don't really let them sit there with just night elastics and get through the rest of their trays i could Mm -hmm. um but we call it we scan it and we. Celebrate it by removing the carrier, like they want to yeah. move on, they want full aligners, and you know that's what we've set them up for. So, once in a while, you will get those kids or sometimes adults, but adults can't move as quickly, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, so so you know, reward them by also moving quickly, don't then make them wait eight weeks to get their next set of aligners. 100%. Bring them in,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a, a really really good point. Like the motivation aspect with these teenagers and. And kids, if you're getting them to their final position, then like, I like to show them examples of other kids who've been in treatment and say, Mm -hmm. oh, this one was the same length. It was supposed to be 18 months, but he actually finished in 12 because he was so good with wearing his elastics.
0: And that's what I'm hoping
1: for you. I'm going to tell you 18 months, but if you're amazing, you might be done in 12. Exactly. Yeah
0: now if you had a patient like you're monitoring them uh, we see this a lot which is why i'm bringing it up um so you've got your class 2 correction and then their lower jaw um drifts forward so they have that like bulldog look we know that the jaw is movable but you know you you ha- you see them back in your chair and maybe you let them go eight weeks 12 weeks or whatever it was and they bite together and you're looking at the class correction and you're like holy crap i've made them like in the anterior crossbite Like all the doctors who just (laughs) started using elastics go crazy. So what do we do? What's the fix? Is it a big deal? So I
1: guess there's two parts to this. There's two approaches. One is that in a lot of these cases, sometimes what is happening is, and this is something to be aware of with the class two correction in a growing patient. Sometimes if you are using class two elastics, the patient, whether it's a true muscle splinting, it's hard to say, but they're almost like muscle splinted forward so it's really important not just to say hey bite together and then you look and they're edge to edge you want to try and like observe them i like looking when they're talking because sometimes i'll have these patients who when i get them to bite they bite class three but then when they're talking i see that like their teeth are almost coming together when they make certain sounds when you look at them and they're in a class two okay and then i'll say bite and then because the elastics have been pulling their jaw they're like either full class three or they're still a big class two, but they're doing yeah. a functional shift. They're just sliding their jaw forward into a class one. Okay. A- and that has gotten me before. I'm sure it gets everybody at some point where you're like, sweet, this looks amazing. We're done with our elastics. Yeah. You take them out of elastics, you see them six months later, you finish the case and you get them to bite for their final photos, and they're still three millimeters class two. And you're like, well, your last pictures, you were perfect class one. Well, they yeah. were kind of muscle splinted or functionally shifting and we didn't catch it. Mm
0: -hmm. Now I guess
1: truly if you wanted to know, you could take a CBCT of their condyle and you'd see exactly where their position. Normally I just feel like a little bit of pressure on the chin, get them to try and swallow their tongue. yeah, And then get them to bite and see if you can evaluate that. But so those patients who are often in class three, that's the first thing I look at too, is put your tongue to the back of your throat like you're trying to swallow it, a little bit of pressure on their chin, try to keep them relaxed, get them to bite down and see are they actually in class three. A lot of times, if they jump from straight class two, and usually like a significant overjet, and I've had this before, to then like Mm -hmm. big class three, the other thing I'll get them to do is try to, can you stick your jaw out any further? Stick it out as Mm -hmm. far as you can. And I don't have the numbers here, but I think you're supposed to be able to protrude your jaw about a centimeter. And so if they're like out here, and then you're like, stick it further, and they only can make it like a millimeter or two, you know that is probably that their muscle splinted or posturing in which case i would go ahead and just be like "Eh, let's stop the elastics for two months see you back and a lot of the times they're out here and then now they're back into their normal biting position they're in a perfect class one because you don't want to necessarily just go ahead and strap up some class three elastics
0: no but they're muscle
1: splinted and now you've gone ahead and pulled them back to the class two position and you're just like missing the target so it's recognizing when they're posturing and recognizing when it's real And I feel like most of the time if they end up in edge to edge or class three, it's posturing. So I almost always stop for two months. And then if they're still in class three, then I'll go ahead and do some class three elastics, but I'll do it really light. So I won't go with like a four or a six ounce. I'll go with maybe like a two ounce. And then I monitor them real closely just to see I won't give them as much time. I'll go for maybe like, depending on how close we are, like two weeks or four weeks or six weeks. But I will not go for like two months or three months.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm the same. Um, Sometimes, you know, when those patients come back and like, it doesn't bother us at all in ortho. I mean, we see them all the time. Um, But you know um, if they're too far, I I don't want to lose momentum. So oftentimes we'll do the same thing, keep them in night elastics so that we're kind of still moving, but taking baby steps in the same direction because knowing we probably still have class two to correct, or we know we still have class two to correct, but it's unnerving the mother at the end of the chair of the growing patients are like, Oh, is that right? Yes. <laughs> All good. Actually, you've done an Olympic job on exactly. your last. Season. Like, I just.
1: We always make... want to overdo it a little bit, right? Exactly. Like, it's and great. So, it's perfect.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the the moral of the story is: don't overreact. Um, don't oversteer. Yeah, don't do the class three. Let them drift back. Let them settle. And again, you can keep them at night. Or if you if you're really worried, yeah, you could stop for a month and then tell them to start on that the next four weeks of just night elastics and we'll work our way back and we'll just and you let them know let them Mm -hmm. in on the secret hey we went you did a crazy great job now we're gonna let it settle back again and then we're gonna get restarted with the elastics. so you're not done Mm -hmm. it's just like a vacation and then you know um but but these are normal things that we see all the time so um exactly that's good to know now how much pull, I think this question that was sent in, how much distance or pull are you looking for? We kind of touched on this, but you know, standard we do canine to first molar, that's standard. So Mm -hmm. if you're gonna hide that hook, let's say we do that sometimes for aesthetics or if they have a retained primary canine, you don't wanna pull on that Mm -hmm. guy. Um, So if we back it up four to six, the shorty, Mm -hmm. um, you're not gonna (laughs) correct a big class two that way. So you gotta make some adjustments, right?
1: Yeah, unless you're again, it kind of depends on if you're, and this is getting into like quite advanced stuff, but are you trying to change the vertical while you're intruding teeth with the aligners or extruding teeth with the aligners for a class three? So like, here's the okay. good way of thinking about it. If you want somebody to swing further forward, okay. you would potentially intrude those upper molars and premolars okay. and then intrude the lower incisors. And that causes their jaw to swing further forward. Cause okay. the more that you kind of close their bite, the more their jaw comes forward. The more you open up a bite, I don't know if you can see me well in the video, but as you open up a class three, their jaw swings back while that's happening. And so they end up in more of a class two situation. So if you open the bite, they become less class three. So for example, like when I'm doing my class three elastic cases I'll often actually run shorter elastics and I'm trying to extrude the teeth with more like shorter vertical elastics. I'm trying to, if I'm going from like the lower four to the upper six, I want the four and the six to extrude because then it kind of causes a premature contact in the posterior and it opens them up a bit. Now they have okay. a bit of an open bite in the anterior, so we still have to then do some extrusion of their anteriors after that, but their jaw kind of swings backward a little bit.
0: And then for that, would you use a three sixteenth, like a shorter, like would you, yeah, like, like a shorter, correct me if I'm wrong, I hate heavier. numbers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> No, you're right <laughs> on here. I'm more into i have I'm more into the the uh, I have a lot of elastics on my desk. <laughs> I have yeah the the countries of the world, the animals of the world, you know forest oh, yeah. creatures that, that's all the fun that we have in ortho so yeah. changing so <laughs> yeah, I right? get
1: no, it's so true <laughs> okay. yeah, but uh, i would I would use something heavy because you need a stronger force for extrusion to occur and something that's less um, horizontal and more vertical okay.
0: I don't. Um, yeah, that's something that's new to me. Um, I, I don't often um when I'm doing elastics, I, I'm mostly thinking AP. I don't often think of the vertical. That's why
1: you doctors. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is this is something that I don't think a lot of people do think. This is like no. courtesy. I need to give credit where credit's due 100 percent to Dr. Tarek Albiali, because oh, he's yeah. the one who thinks outside the boxes with things like how do we change their vertical to affect their anterior posterior. Um, yeah. And if we can do that, then it's not so much the elastics pulling the jaw forward. Uh, it's, it's more like the things that he's doing is those skeletal changes through controlled yeah. intrusion and extrusion because we know the aligners are so good at those movements. But then the second thing is is that um, he's actually doing some stuff where he's actually trying to get the mandible to pull forward if they're a significant class 2 in a non-growing adult and hold them in that position and actually achieve condylar remodeling. So the condyle or the fossa, I should say, is remodeling because the condyle's positioned anteriorly and being held in that spot. So there were some studies that he was looking at out of Japan where they were remodeling condyles to rather than doing surgery. So it's kind of a combination of that intrusion, extrusion to get the jaw to swing forward. And then if you don't have any more of that position, the condyle, then over enough time, it can remodel. Now I, I'm not mm. an expert with that, so I, I can't speak to how well it works or doesn't work. But it's it's a really interesting mm. way to think about things.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so that is great. Um, that's perfect. I, yeah, I did want to know about that. These short, these short elastics. So I learned something there. Um, yeah. And now I'm I'm a little bit worried about my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, am I elong- elongating his already oval face? But it's too late for him. <laughs> That plan has failed. <laughs> oh, I didn't do it by myself, <laughs> Yeah. <definitely> helped me. <laughs> okay, um, so I think, oh, how about this? This came in from our members. Um, what elastic strength or brand, and again, this depends on if it's short or long, um, do you prefer or recommend for sequential distillation? Is there a difference that you, or do you just, it's your standard?
1: Sorry, you're asking which brand to use? Like, um,
0: well, no, which strength in which particular strength? Okay, yeah, okay. brand, because the brands sure. are all, they're pretty much all pretty
1: measured. Much, like, all- yeah, I'll actually touch on that first. The only brand that's any different that I would say is if you're using super heavyweight elastics. I know that um, McNamara, Dr. McNamara did a study yeah. and he found that the weight of the Force One and Force Two elastics, yeah. uh, they're Henry Shine. Um, Yeah, I love it that those are they produce a stronger amount of force to stretch like they don't meet that rule. They're actually stronger than the kind of the three three X expansion of the diameter. And so force one and force two elastics, if we're using really heavy, that's what we try to use unless there's a latex allergy. Yeah. But in terms of like a sequential distalization. Again, I'm probably using like a, depending on the size, because if I'm going from the molar on the lower to the upper canine, I'd be using something that's like a one quarter. Yeah. And then it would either be a four ounce or a six ounce. Okay. If I needed to go from the six to the three or to the four, sorry, one tooth shorter, then I would do the same thing. I'd be going with like three sixteenths. So just okay. one sixteenth smaller. Okay. And then kind of the same weight, either a four ounce or a six ounce. And we're similar. We have like a thousand different size elastics for different specific situations that you come across once a year. Yeah. And so we yeah. have like half weights, like we have like 316, 4.5 ounces, yeah. 316, 5 yeah. ounces. But a good rule of thumb for somebody who's just starting is if you have two ounces, four ounces, yeah. six ounces, maybe, maybe
0: an eight.
1: If they have carriers? Yeah, eight if you have carriers. And then where it gets interesting is kind of like a midline elastics. Like sometimes we'll use elastic yeah. from the upper canine to the lower canine across the middle um, mm-hmm. on opposing quads. So from like the upper right to the lower left. Then you generally need like a 5-16th
0: okay. it's just like the Because it's a longer you need a stretch. So it's a yeah. longer
1: stretch and it's kind of uncomfortable. You only usually use it at nighttime.
0: Hannibal Lecter elastics.
1: That's right. Yeah, exactly. So maybe like some 5-16ths. And you want it to be lighter so like we use like three ounce or 3.5 ounce five yeah. sixteenths
0: we try to keep so. that to after work after school although yeah. covid was really great for the answer oh, yeah
1: midlines are getting aligned like never before
0: <laughs> yeah it was awesome <laughs> um speaking of sequential distillation, um without getting too into the weeds with it um so with sequential distillation, obviously we're going seven six sometimes the four and five together, and then the three, do you start your elastics on that day one insert when the sevens are distalizing? And obviously there's alignment going on, or do you wait till that magical period, whether either the premolars are starting to move or the, or the canine?
1: Yeah. So I like doing mine where I do like seven, six, five, four, three. Mm-hmm. Those are all individual. Okay. And then the only thing that I have moving together as they back up is the like laterals and centrals okay
0: um,
1: and i do start my elastics immediately the reason okay. that i do is that kind of think of it like a we're having like a a tug of war so to speak so we're trying to like the seven is moving backwards but as the the seven or the second molar is moving backwards it is mm-hmm. pushing against the anterior teeth a little bit it's very small but let's say that we back up the seven by like five millimeters Right. The anterior segment, the six forward, is moving forward maybe like point three millimeters, something very, very small. And then as the six moves backwards, the anterior segment might be moving point five forward, and all those teeth are slightly moving forward. Just because
0: it's the opposite force, we're not doing potentially. We're just that it has to dissipate somewhere. Exactly. It's
1: kind of like say you have um, a a five-year-old sitting in a computer chair, and they're sitting against. Opposite them, there's someone who's like 200 pounds, and the five-year-old pushes against the 200-pound person. The five-year-old's going to go flying back, but the 200-pound right. person's still going to move maybe like an inch. Oh,
0: good and analogy.
1: And so yeah. I-, I feel like we want to, so and we call it the anchorage, right? We want to control okay. the anchorage. Now, friction in real life prevents that from actually happening. Eventually, you'd reach a limit that if someone's a thousand pounds, they're not going to move at all. Right. But we, and that's kind of because the friction of their chair against the ground. But just like how we always say that the earth has an impact on the gravity of the sun and the sun on the earth, well, the sun is much stronger or that we have an impact on the gravity of the earth as individuals, but it's a minuscule one trillionth of what the earth has on us as an individual. So it's the same thing with the teeth. So I normally do like starting the elastics immediately for two reasons. One is that. And the second is I want the patient to get used to wearing those elastics right away.
0: Yeah, true.
1: And, and kind of just get used to it. Like we might as well just start and get it going. If they struggle with the elastics, I tell them, don't worry about it. If you can't get them, we'll see you again in like a week or two weeks. Let us know. We'll go ahead and do some more practicing. Even if you can just get them at nighttime for the first week or two weeks, then that's great um, Okay. while you get going. But I do need you to be wearing them all the time. And I prefer okay. for you to wear them from the, the beginning. But if you're if the an eight-year-old kid or a 10-year-old kid is having trouble wearing their elastics i don't want it to ruin the entire experience and then they think aligners are terrible i'd rather just go ahead and say keep it pretty easy wear them at night time get used to them and then let's go ahead and and make sure that by the end of the week we're wearing them all the time
0: okay awesome okay sounds good um oh
1: sorry just to finish that then with sequential distillation so what i do is i have them move the seven And then the six doesn't start moving till the seven is halfway finished moving, then the six can start moving.
0: Okay. The five doesn't
1: start moving till the six is halfway finished. So my goal is to always have only two teeth moving at a time. So the seven and then halfway through the six starts, then the six for the first half, the seven's moving. And then for the second half, the five is moving. Then for the five, the first half is when the six is moving, the second half the four starts. And then once it gets down to the incisors, then I let them treat the incisors altogether the same. But the reality is, is that this adds treatment length because you're yeah. looking probably at like 70 aligners in order to do that. So sometimes mm-hmm. I'll cheat and I'll tell them, okay, don't do that because I don't want 70 aligners. But the reality is, is that sequential distalization, if it's a significant amount, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to it take, take time. time. If it takes yeah. a year and a half with a carrier it's probably going to take two years with sequential distillation. i always say six months longer than whatever the carrier can do is what sequential distalization would take
0: okay
1: um hmm. if the sequential distalization can actually even do it because sometimes there's cases where yeah. it seems like there's just there's too yeah, much it's movement it's too anywhere. hard in that case if you're going to do it you need something like a tad based appliance
0: yeah 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 but both i mean sometimes no matter what you do carrier or sequential you're just you know patient like yeah, my husband, perfect example like he's been epic with these elastics it's actually embarrassing even at restaurants he literally yeah. will take them out right on the spot. like they're only out of his mouth if he's chewing <laughs> so i'm like people don't do that socially i'm like I, have to, I forgot to go over the etiquette but he's he's like like full time um yeah. but you know it's slow it's it's been and we even got his wisdom teeth removed like we don't usually do that in Orso. we don't it was apart from class three distalization or whatever. Um, we don't typically like um, ask for the wisdom teeth out at the beginning, we leave it to the end because that might be an obstacle to them starting with us. Um, but even my 50 year old husband, my orso was like, I think we should get those out. And I'm like, really, <laughs> Yeah. special treatment for all. But so he did it and he's trying to, but anyways, it's still slow, but you know, um, we're trusting the process. And, and you know, I, I I do sometimes I have in the last year or so uh, tried to move the fours and fives together as a unit um, after moving the sevens and sixes. So we'll see. Um, I don't find tracking a problem, but yeah, it's just actually getting the full correction, which we're we're happy with some correction, you know, mm. as long as the the anteriors end up okay, as long as it's functional and we don't make yeah. it worse, no one's going to ever know. He didn't even know he well, was a And,
1: and I, I definitely can say too that sometimes I do have the premolars moving together. There's no hard and fast rule. Um, it depends on how much sequential distalization is needed, in my opinion. If it's going to be a smaller amount, then you can have more teeth moving at once. If it's going to be like a really significant amount, then it, that's the, the situations where I realize that it, it probably matters more.
0: We just have a couple more questions left. Um, so another one was, when do you decide on nighttime wear? Like, when do you make the call on whether they should wear nighttime? Um, and also maybe for those, I know a lot of us in your group are um, doing like mixed mixed intuition, like phase one, phase mm. two. Like, are you holding them hostage in nighttime elastics for years?
1: <laughs> uh, I <laughs> yes would say no. I'm freeing them from daytime wear. <laughs> no, but Normally nighttime wear, if you have an adult patient, if they're not wearing their elastics all the time, nothing's going to happen at night. There's no point, really. Other than sometimes if someone has a really tight bite, like they're kind of class three, I'll plan some class three nighttime elastics just to kind of keep them from biting right on their anterior teeth pretty heavily. Or this is a good one. Let's say you have someone who's class three and you're going to be correcting it mostly with IPR. So you're doing some IPR between the bottom teeth and you don't do any on the top. When you close that IPR spacing, some of that is going to come from, well, most of it will come if it's in the anterior, from the anterior teeth retracting into that space. But okay. a little bit of it could be from the molars shifting forward.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So let's say you're doing the IPR between like the four and the five or the five and the six yeah. on the lower. In my opinion, it's super important to then if if it's really tight, and if you're fighting for like every millimeter to get them off that edge-to-edge bite. Put them in class through elastics either full time or if you think they're going to be too opposed to it at nighttime to try to make sure that all that space that you did the IPR for, that it closes with the anterior teeth moving distally into that space, not with the molars drifting mesially. Else you might do like 0.5 millimeters of IPR between every contact. So you did like five millimeters of IPR, but you only got three of it with the anterior teeth retracting. Two millimeters of it was the posterior teeth mesializing. Right. So that's, okay, that's one reason to do it. But other than that, if it's like a class two adult patient, nighttime wear is kind of useless. With mm-hmm. teen patients, it's usually if I get them close enough to their target destination and it's like the last millimeter or something like that. And I know we still have a while that we're going to be in treatment. Then I will normally say, let's go with nighttime just to like finish the tweaks or right. I'll use an elastic if I need one side to move full time because it's worse. Then I'll have them wear the one side full-time and the holding side nighttime. Yeah, A a follow-up, a lot of people ask, would I ever have someone wear just an elastic on one side and not on the other? And I do. I know some people say that there's an increase of possibility with TMD. I haven't really ran into that issue. So I, I will have them just wear one side unilaterally. But like if, for a midline
0: shift or a carrier, yeah. I mean, a carrier, they have a, they have a three quarter aligner. So yeah. we're not really too worried about much of anything.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I do do that. So, okay. um, but with these kid patients really, and this is a whole nother topic, like mm-hmm. mixed dentition patients are so fun to treat because mm-hmm. you can do anything. Almost the patients are super compliant and you've got five yeah. years to do it. My goal yeah. of mixed is to do one year of full-time wear Normally, I don't use elastics on mixed dentition in that first year unless they're a significant Mm -hmm. class three. I'm just trying to expand the arches, correct the curve of speed, level and get everything in the proper spot and give space for new teeth erupting. Then I'll go ahead and use elastics or the mandibular advancement feature just at nighttime. Because then it's really easy for them to just wear their elastics at nighttime. They're not getting as much benefit because they'll lose the stretch of the elastics halfway through the night but we've got three or four years of just doing nighttime and then if we need it like let's say they start when they're eight or nine maybe by the time that they're 12 or 13 now if we need some serious anterior posterior correction with elastics now we put them back in a full-time wear even though their teeth are perfectly straight we're doing it just for the elastics when we hit their peak growth
0: yeah that's great that's a good point Um, Do you have a preference, or maybe it's um, a case specific, for precision hooks versus window cutouts or what you prefer to bond?
1: Generally, I like button-to-button the best because I feel like what happens when you're hooking to the aligner in some circumstances is the aligner is getting pulled off the teeth. So the aligner Mm -hmm. becomes less effective. If I have a patient who's from out of town and I'm worried about buttons falling off, I always do hook-to-hook. Okay. Um, because then they don't need to drive six hours to literally have us spend 10 minutes to put a button back on.
0: Okay.
1: Um, if I have a patient who has really small teeth, like a, a mixed dentition case, it can also be really hard because if they're losing teeth yeah. and they're small, so there's not a lot of retention with the trays, then you go hook on the teeth, you end up pulling the uh, the aligner off their teeth, and then it doesn't do anything, and the parents get frustrated because then things stop tracking. So that's also why in the mixed dentition cases, I don't start with elastics usually right off the bat, because I want to get the teeth all lined up properly first. Yeah. And then I'll usually do button to button still, but I do a light elastic, because I don't want the teeth to extrude from Mm -hmm. having a heavy elastic, because those mixed dentition teeth are so Mm movable. But if I was wanting to do kind of like, what's the kind of the, the the downside of the buttons is they bite down on the candy cane and they break off their button. So you yeah. can end up with a lot more chair time. So the decisions are this you go button to button, which is probably the best for the clinical results because it's not pulling the aligner off the teeth, right. but it's the most chair time because the buttons can come off. Mm-hmm. The flip side is going a liner to a liner is way more convenient for us. Clinically, it's a little bit harder for them to get the elastic on the, bottom distal tooth <clears> so the lower molars um, but it, it's not maybe the clinically the best because it's dislodging the trays the sweet spot sometimes then is going ahead and doing a button on the lower first molar mm-hmm. to a hook on the upper canine or first premolar mm-hmm. because have then, like an
0: attachment to anchor it and to make sure it doesn't flap off
1: yeah and then a big thick attachment on that tooth exactly
0: Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes um i've been uh as backup because again for the chair time we do have hooks that pop off um a lot it's oh my god it's a <laughs> lot it's like, it takes it's little red squares all throughout the day yeah. of emergency but you know sometimes they barely made it to the parking lot but um so uh, hook, hook on the six, and then I build in a precision cut on the seven, and that's like the emergency backup, so that they don't have mm. to use our chair time the same week, whatever. We can take our time, like or if it's close enough to their appointment, um, again, they might have to back up the strength of their elastic if it was a six ounce. But uh, you know, you can you can do it. Um, so sometimes, sometimes it we'll even do sometime yet. Yeah, and even with a carrier. Um, button on the six because I usually do canine um, button on the six and a slit on the uh, seven just so they don't lose momentum like what mm-hmm. if they can't come back in a week or two you're gonna lose what you've yeah. gained so and you they know get we're playing this game
1: used to them not wearing elastics and get kind of lazy
0: <laughs> exactly exactly yeah, and I, of course, I,
1: I love that too
0: and uh, you're great about having pictures of um, your favorite hooks and things that stick and um, you know there's so many options out there but oh, it does yeah. take some trial and effort like we have a whole a button buffet from Asia <laughs> from oh, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like which ones stick? Waffled, non waffled, you know, yeah, we've done yeah, it all. Totally. Um, and sometimes I mean do take a very good look at your bonding procedure because I think a lot of people don't rinse off the etch long enough. Like give it a good ten yeah. seconds. You know, well, um, you know
1: what and- I heard in a lecture and we've started doing this now is they were talking about how the etch works in that when you're etching on a cut surface of a tooth, okay, um, there's a smear layer. There, there's the dentinal tubules and the the enamel is kind of like open for you to be able to let the etch kind of soak into the tooth but if you're etching something directly on an unprepped surface that the etch has a more challenging time kind of penetrating into the tooth and so to leave the etch on for longer so instead of doing i can't remember what the ideal time you guys out there probably know better than I do. Minus, prep
0: minus ten seconds, and I count. Can yeah. you imagine how many bond things I bond today? Like every, I count to ten out yeah. loud. I which which is it. kind
1: and of pretty standard protocol. Because I'm
0: fast. Like we're yeah. we're like you know you oh, do yeah. things fast fast fast. So yeah. yeah, I count to a good ten, and then I rinse for the rinsing is super important. I rinse for the same ten. And my, you know my, what I would
1: mind. do? I would probably do it the same way because I I don't obviously do the bonds myself, but. I would probably do something similar. And then if I found a button or something came off, I've heard leave the, and this is what I've had the assistants been doing, leave the etch on for even up to 60 seconds for the tooth that it came off on, because then it gets the etch to penetrate into the tooth more and and kind of, um, it improves that etching process. Now, I don't know that there's any evidence-based literature that I have for that. And again, people out there might know better because when you're bonding, say veneers, for example, and this is a great question. So feel free to comment on this. Anybody who knows how long do you etch a non-prep veneer for would be my question,
0: yeah,
1: because if all. you,
0: it, it seems like an eternity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cause if you are, if that is now becoming the standard that you are etching for longer, then that would be kind of potentially the solution for, I wouldn't worry about it with the attachments as much, but maybe just the buttons Yeah. that giving yeah. that extra 60 seconds, if it keeps them on, that might make a, a difference.
0: Yeah. I know with my team we kind of um explain it like the longer the etch is on and i, I mean i know there's a thing is over etching i don't know mm. what really what that's about but um again we're just trying to get our team to at least do the full whatever the factors. Minimum, that's at yeah. least the 10 seconds but totally. um you know it, it's taking all that material between the tubules away and so it's like the prickly part of velcro so you want it to be as prickly as possible not like all caught up with fluff you know um where it's ineffective and then your bond is like the fuzzy part and then that's a really good bond whether it's your lingual wires that are coming off or it's your buttons um you know the process protocol
1: is 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 crucial
0: don't just like if the blue disappears you're not done
1: (laughs) (laughs) i i also like checking real quick when i'm actually involved with the process doing a quick check because sometimes you'll have a button cut out on like a buckle filling and then you look at it you should always be able to see that nice etch chalky appearance on the teeth and sometimes you do have one that you're just it's coming off it's coming off it's coming off and then finally someone checks like or teacher assistants to look for the chalky appearance if they're the ones that are placing the attachments or hygienists have them look to see if there's no chalk then that means that maybe you put your button on a class 5 filling and you didn't realize it and that's why it keeps coming off maybe you need to go ahead and use a hole punch tool or something to modify the trays and move it in a different spot on that tooth
0: exactly Exactly. and
1: yeah that that can play a role
0: okay awesome um i think the only other thing we have is just wear instructions which we did kind of go over a little bit um uh, again you have different protocols for different we all have different protocols for different situations but i think the you know the takeaway is that you know when you're doing it you want it as close to 24 7 as possible taking them out only to eat or drink or in you know some of your protocols where they're eating with them in i mean if you can uh, eat with them in yeah go crazy
1: <laughs> well that's what i tell people with the elastics usually with a carrier like we we do a lot of eating with aligners in in our practice. Yeah. hygiene is paramount with that protocol but things move faster. They're more efficient. Yeah. Teeth get less wiggly because the trays are splinting the them together like an orthodontic wire would. But we will tell patients if they have a carrier if you want to try eating with them in. If you find that mm-hmm. you're swallowing a lot of elastics, take them out, but if you can leave them in even when you're eating, go for it. Usually with like teen and mixed dentition, I wouldn't, but usually I let I tell the adults that they can. They yeah. can try at least.
0: And then, um, you had mentioned, um, like, don't be stingy with your elastics, um, mm-hmm. give them yeah. more than they need. So all, like, changing heavy. five, seven, eight times a day. If they want to change 12 times a day, don't be backing them up. Just
1: go, go, go. Give them um, like seven bags of elastics. Yeah. Like, you want them because people are going to lose their elastics. Yeah. And so we had assistants previously who were only giving like one or two bags and yeah. like, don't lose this. What are yeah. we paying per bag? Like a dollar or something? Yeah. Like, yeah. Give them but what? one in
0: their lunch, I mean, growing, growing kids, but like you need one in the car, in your purse, you need them everywhere to make it convenient and become a habit. So set them up for success. Otherwise you're going to get the excuse. Well, I ran out. any. Yeah. Like that's silly. So get out of your own way and yeah, just give them the elastics. They paid for their treatment and it, it really you're saving time if they're wearing them. So, um, yeah, to totally give those to them. Um, uh, I think that's. Uh, I mean, co-op with elastics, yeah. Just consistency. It's more about consistency than strength. So strength is great if you're mm-hmm. inching your way up, but um, you know, really, it's just wearing them all the time, in my opinion. Yeah,
1: totally. Okay,
0: that's awesome. Um, the only other thing, yeah, was just co-op and burnout, um, which we did talk about a bit as well. Um, I think it. I think too, like in those new patient exams, when you have adults in particular who tell you uh, who they are, and they're like, "I'm not going to wear the elastics. I won't be good at that." um you know we all try because we want that perfect outcome (laughs) Um, but believe them when they tell you they're not that person um you know come up with option two that doesn't involve elastics and let them choose and it's i think it's great if you can can convince them or you know they're they're on the middle ground they're not sure Mm -hmm. because some people will do it for you um but you if you really have that patient who a lot of the times it's aesthetics they're just not going to wear the elastics and you've planned this huge sequential distalization or carrier good luck. Like, yeah. um, so, you're, you're, you know,
1: you're wasting your time if you don't have compliance and yeah.
0: now kids and teens, that's different. Like yeah. we, we should try, like, yes. we should, we should try. um, but again, if, if you get towards the end and it's mom at the end of the chair, who's saying, yeah, give me more elastics, give me more, but you know, she's not putting them on the child. So at a certain point, there's a conversation that has to be had with the mom and the child. But, you know, oftentimes at that point, it's the parent we can't, we can't help you. We're not with you 24 seven. So
1: you got to kind of put it back. Totally. So funny you saying that because, um, I just had a patient last week where I had like the case of two patients where they're both teens. They're both kind of at the end of their growth now. Um, because they're probably like 15 ish as girls, neither of them have been great with their elastics. The mom in the one case is like, she like the kid is done her teeth look great like it looks aesthetically great but she has an overjet um and i've talked to her many many times and talked to mom many many times about wearing the elastics they haven't and so now we're ready to be done it's probably going to take like at least a year of more elastic wear if they're going to continue on mom says like no we're going for perfection we we aren't going to stop so now we're stuck in this position here where like the teen is not engaged they're not interested they don't care i told my assistants right then and there i'm like i guarantee they're gonna be back within six to 12 months nothing will have changed at all because you're reading the personality whereas then i have another patient who is in with their mom same conversation just that you have been wearing elastics your teeth are as straight as i can get them with the aligners and the patient and mom are both like you know what we're realistic to the fact that. She's not going to wear them. We're really happy with where things are at.
0: Yeah. And so yeah.
1: It, the goal is always I love this quote, which is the, treat kids and teens idealistically, treat your adults realistically. Yeah. I think the mm-hmm. second follow up then should be treat your kids and your teens idealistically, but it doesn't always mean that you will achieve those results. Right. Because even with brackets and wires, if they're not wearing their elastics, you're going right. to end up in the exact same position, straight teeth, yeah. but no correction of their
0: overjet. And if you keep them in too long, um, whether it's aligners or brackets and wires, you're, you're going to have consequences. You're going to have decal. It's just uh, with aligners, you're going to end up, um, your alignment's going to be off because eventually relapse. they're going to take those you're... aligners out. So they're not wearing the elastics. Now they're not wearing their aligners. And now you've got relapse to deal and with. Now that you're
1: treating We longer. do
0: get responsible for Totally. So it's better to like debond. And even if you tell the parents, um, you know, after, after school or evenings, they can wear these, you know, stronger aligners and, you know, we know there's not going to be much change, but like, let them burn themselves out. They're already burnt out. So let mom burn herself out. Is basically, (laughs) I am one of those moms.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's true though. Sometimes we know know more than the parents do. And you're kind of going through the motions, like with that one where it's like,
0: and you're um, just so worried about OHI and also just like mentally, like it's, it's just not nice to put someone through that, you know, coming into your office on and basically we're telling them no no improvement no no improvement keep going it's just demoralizing so at a certain point i think we gotta help them out somehow but anyways um but that was great we learned a lot about elastics um i think that was fantastic so hopefully it takes some of the fear out of using them so you have another tool in your toolbox that you're not um worried that you're going to make people's faces into like horses or these are things that i used to think about when i worked as when my uh dentist started doing um You know ortho and i was like oh my god should we be doing this like (laughs) people's faces like i would have dreams about screwing people up but these things don't happen and And the reality is is like we can have a an impact
1: sometimes for like you were talking about rob's case right Mm -hmm. um your, your husband the differences in terms of the facial changes that we're making both for the good and the bad are really minor there's we can't turn someone who has like a skeletal deformity into a perfect jawline yep. and we can't stop somebody who's got a really strong jaw like Richard Litt always said the pattern is the pattern is the pattern you can okay. play a 2% role in that pattern but you're still going to have someone with a retrognathic mandible if they've always had a retrognathic mandible someone right. with a prognathic mandible they're always going to have it unless they do surgery and so just recognizing that you're not going to like Kelly was saying where we think that like we have this huge wow. potential to change their faces don't tell people that like you don't want to tell people that no. they can but also realize that you aren't going to like screw someone's face up using rubber bands there's there's a few spots and we'll talk about with carrier next time but it's it's not like we're in this uh position where we can severely severely change someone's face in in the negative or the positive
0: Yeah, absolutely. So be cautious, but don't be, you can sleep that scared. Don't (laughs) be scared. If you use elastics, you can sleep that night. Awesome. Exactly. Amazing. Okay. So I think uh, our next podcast, uh, I don't know if we're announcing what we're doing, but I think we're doing carriers, which is natural transition. So you'll know enough about elastics that you can bond those bars.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: pieces of the puzzle.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Cool. Well, thank you, Kelly. Lots of fun.
0: Thank you. Fun afternoon.